About 700,000 women are widowed in the United States every year. Losing a spouse is considered one of life's most devastating events. Many widows share that the loneliest time of the day is the dinner hour, when they sit at a table by themselves after many years of sharing that evening meal with their husband. You are about to hear a conversation between Sharon Betters, Executive Director of Mark Inc. Ministries, and Carolyn Fredericks, a widow who shares her own grief journey after the death of her husband. In keeping with the goals of Mark Inc. Ministries to offer help and hope to the hurting, we are confident this interview, a part of our Learning to See When the Lights Go Out audio library, will encourage widows and their families that there is hope and purpose after the loss of a beloved husband. I'm so excited to have in the studio today Carolyn Fredericks. And Carolyn and I have some things in common because of our life journey, things that we would never choose to have in common. But there are other very critical pieces of our lives that are similar that bind us together immediately. And today, Carolyn is going to share her story of learning to see when the lights go out. So I know that many of our listeners are going to be touched by the sorrow that she's experienced. Maybe you'll resonate with that. Maybe your heart is broken right now, and you're looking for somebody to give you hope. I remember myself uh, hanging on to life by my fingernails, just desperate for someone to tell me it will get better. Well, you need to listen today carefully as Carolyn shares her story, because I think you will receive that hope that you're looking for. So welcome, Carolyn. And Carolyn, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Just tell them a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Sharon. It's my pleasure to be here today. As you said, I'm Carolyn Fredericks. I have worked in the field of aging for 43 years. I'm the director of a large multipurpose facility in Dover. I have a wonderful and loving family who are very important in the story that we're going to be talking about today because family is very important when you're experiencing grief and loss. I have a wonderful, wonderful church family, and they're also very important in experience in this life journey, I would say. But I am here today basically to talk about what has happened in my specific grief journey and how I've learned and sometimes not really learned, but I'm trying to deal with it. Well, that's intriguing. I know of two um, very big losses in your life, and I'd like for you to talk about those right now. Okay. Well, actually, 17 years ago this week, my son was killed tragically in an automobile accident, uh, which was so devastating that, you know, I, you know, as you know, because you've lost a child, it's so devastating for a parent to go through. And literally, I, I just I almost don't even remember that part of my life. I was so distraught and so angry, but I had a wonderful wonderful, loving husband who was there with me in my faith. And I have to say, I did question my faith, and I did question God, and I questioned a lot of things because I couldn't understand why this child should be taken from me. But, you know, I and even though people that might be listening today may not totally understand this, but I, I've gotten to the point now where I know that the Lord had me walk down that path so I could help others walk down that path. I'll just share this brief story. I was on a bus one day uh, going to a Women of Faith conference, 
and uh, my son was 19 when he was killed. And somebody got on the bus and said there was a, a young man, 19 years old, that was killed from our hometown. We didn't know his name at that point or anything. And so the lady who had planned the trip knew that I had lost a 19-year-old son. And so she asked me to pray for the family which I did. And when I got home, I found out who it was, and I knew the family, and I knew the mom, and I knew what the mom was experiencing. And so I thought, you know, what what is the right thing? What would the Lord want me to do in this situation? And so I thought, you know, I need to call just to let her know that I love her. And so I called, and her son answered the phone. And uh, I didn't say who I was. I just asked to speak to his mom. And she picked up the phone, and before I even said one word, she said to me, Carolyn, I knew you would call me because you've walked down this path. And even though it is a difficult path, it's one that I think the Lord allows you to walk through so that you can help others who might be walking down that path as well. Little did you know that that very painful time in your life was preparing you for another painful time in your life. My husband was a cancer survivor for 13 years. And, you know, when you get to the point of 13 years, you think, okay, we have licked this battle now and we're, we're home free. But we weren't. And we were notified that his uh, cancer had returned. And when it came back, it came back with a vengeance. And so when we were first told about the illness, I, I have to say that we did a lot of crying together. Uh, I would sit at his feet. And uh, we would hold each other and we would cry. But my husband was a great, great man of faith. And he was preparing for his journey home. I was trying to prepare for a life without the love of my life. And he was concerned about that, too, and concerned about, you know, how he should leave things at home. But he was focused on heaven. And he told me one time that he was going to be healed. and He knew that although it wasn't going to be on this earth. He was going to have a new body someday. But in his journey, he was going to take as many people to heaven as he could. And so when people came to the hospital room to visit with him, it, he completely turned the tables around and used that as his opportunity to witness and to talk to couples about sharing their love for each other before it's too late. What a tribute to him and to his faith. As you were preparing for your own life without him, what were your days like? I mean, I've often tried to imagine what would it be like if I knew that my husband was dying, that soon he wouldn't be here, or if a child of mine was had a, a terminal illness, what would it be like? And I, I've watched friends experience this, and I see something supernatural happen in some of them. Mm-hmm. In some of them, they... They um, they struggle to get up every morning because they're so devastated and in despair. And frankly, that's how I picture myself. Well, it was like that to a certain point because you've just been dealt this devastating news. And, you know, how do you handle that? And I remember the turning point uh, because uh, he was, you know, going through chemo and getting some medical work done. And he called me one day and he said, I fixed a big meatloaf and I've invited the family over and the kids over and we're all going to have dinner together tonight because I'm not dead yet. And I knew that that was a turning point because we still had some life to live. And we determined from that point forward that, and I took a leave of absence from work so that I could spend 
absolutely every minute with him, and I did. And even though it was a painful process, right now when I look back, it's one of the most wonderful memories that I have because we had the opportunity to share and talk. And, you know, our time was 3 o'clock in the morning. I know that sounds crazy, but we would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and we would talk about all these different things. And we would search our memories to see if there was anybody that he may have offended in his life and that he wanted to make it right. Because when he faced his Jesus, he wanted to make sure that there was nothing, there were no flaws that he would be able to say that he had made things right with the world. And so that was his goal. And literally, when I say he was preparing to go to heaven, when the doctor talked to us about it, he he at first told us that he had six months. And so my husband said, asked me to leave the room. And when he left, when I left the room, he said to the doctor, okay, now she's gone. So now you can really tell me how much time we have left. And so he said, well, you have about six weeks. And they were very close uh, to the six weeks. And so my husband immediately made a list, literally, like you do when you're packing to go away on vacation. He made a list of everything that he needed to do prior to his departure for heaven. And, you know, he was so faithful. He had this huge, long prayer list that he would pray for every day. But every day he would work on that list to get it down to where he felt that he had taken care of what he needed to take care of here before he went to heaven. But one of the most precious memories that I have, and like I say, I did not leave his side. I At the hospital, I slept in the room with him. I, you know, it was a precious, precious time. And one of my wonderful, wonderful memories it was, you know, he was hooked up to uh, all the IV poles and everything, but I would help him and we would walk into uh, the bathroom. And what he would do is when I would help him up, he would take me in his arms and we would dance and he would sing, I'm so glad we've had this time together. And those memories, even though they're still fresh, even though they've been seven and a half years, are the most wonderful memories that I have right now. And those are the things that I cling to because one day... I'm going to see him again in heaven. And after he gives me a glass of iced tea, which he did every day when I came home from work, he's going to hold me in his arms and we're going to dance together again. What a beautiful picture of grace. I'm thinking of people who might be facing this kind of a journey. And uh, some of them are listening to you and saying, she's insane, or that's a gift that they got, but I'm not experiencing that. What we're going through doesn't even compare. There are no moments like that. How were you able to really walk in step with your husband? Apparently, he set the pace for you. I think that we just determined we know we have a limited number of days together. Let's strive to make them the best. Now, I'm not saying that every day was perfect, but we determined to make the best of each day. We spent all of our time together. I went with him when he had any kind of medical procedure or anything, and we would just determine that whatever God had left for us, we're going to make the best of it. And and I realize, and I, I like that you use the term journey, because it is a journey that you go through, and it's a long journey, and I'm, I'm still on that journey. And, you know, I lost my husband seven and a half years ago, and I'm still not there yet, you know, and I don't know that I will ever get to the end of this journey until, you know, I'm reunited with him in heaven someday. You know, Carolyn, you're talking about the fact that we don't know how much time we have. You were told this is how much time you have, and it was pretty correct, six weeks. I don't know how much time I have here. We both know that in an instant 
one of our loved ones could be taken from us just in a, in a split second. Really, isn't there a life lesson here for all of us? There is a major life lesson here because, and this is what my husband tried to tell to everybody who came into the room, especially young couples, because, you know, they don't think there's an end. You treat each day like it could be your last day because it could be. And, you know, for people who are married, 50% of those people are going to lose a spouse. And so you have to think, and you don't know when that designated time may be. So, you know, I've had, I've talked to people who have said, goodness, I wish I would have done this, or I wish I would have kissed them goodbye, or I wish, because, you know, there's, and we'll get around to the group that we have, but there's a girl in my group who told her husband goodbye one morning, and he was off to play golf. And the next thing she knew, she had a call that he had had an aneurysm, and he was gone. So we do not know. So the life lesson here is today could be your last day, and so you should live it like it's your last day. Speak to others with love because it could be your last day. And, you know, if you're the other person that is left here on this earth, you don't want to have any regrets either about what you may have said to that person that you've just lost. I remember uh, a friend told me at the very beginning of our marriage, save the best smiles for your husband. And I've tried to live that way. You know, she said, you you can work it up. As soon as a stranger comes by, you're going to give them a smile. Or she said, you're in control of more than you realize. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to live life that way. Um, but it goes way beyond that. But mm -hmm. if you have that in your mind, uh, don't take them for granted and treat them the way that you're, you might be treating a stranger uh, better than you're treating the ones that you love. Right. Well, you know, people used to make fun of my husband and I because we were the crazy old couple that was holding hands and acting all silly and everything. And every day, you know, I worked and I still work. And every day at 1225, we had a phone date because it was my lunchtime. And it was important that we took five or 10 minutes out of our day just to check and see, you know, how's it going, you know. And in the morning when I would get up, if he left for work before I did, which he normally did most mornings, he would have my cup sitting there. And on top of it, he would have a little picture drawn uh, with him with a little beard and a little squiggly head. And, and it would say 143, which stands for I love you. And, of course, I wear a necklace, which I'll never take off, that says, I love you. And he gave it to me, 143. How would you uh, counsel a woman or a husband who's listening right now and saying, we don't have that in our marriage? We, don't, we are not facing death as far as we know, but listening to you talk, it sounds great, but we don't have that. How, how am I supposed to respond to a spouse who doesn't leave me little notes and doesn't call me, would think I was silly if I asked them to call me every day at the same time? Well, I think you would start with yourself and you would give to that person. I mean, maybe you're putting up a, a block. Maybe you're putting up a wall. And, you know, I, I think a, a lady is probably a little bit more, you know, they demonstrate their feelings a little bit better than the guys do. But once the wall was down or the wall is down, then I feel that that would be reciprocated. And, and that would help a couple just grow tremendously, you know, because at first the husband might be, a, if this is a, a lady that's listening, but, and the husband might be shocked or surprised or amazed at this, at this change. But I think in the end, it would improve their relationship. But it's, it's, you need to have a dialogue about it. You know, don't just start doing crazy things. But, you know, we would leave each other notes and, and things like that. And I think that's so important. And so just I, I'm just saying, you know, just try it. And I think that 
it would change a relationship and bring a couple closer together. Well, I think there are a couple of other things, too. And of course, we're not here to really talk about marriage, but you're modeling for other people, I think, too. And also, you mentioned earlier regrets. You can look back and say, I... I did what I knew was the right thing. Even though I may not have gotten the response that I wanted, I still did it. So you mentioned a group, and I think that's probably the best way for us to start talking about uh, some of the hard things about being a widow or a widower. A listener is going to hear your voice, and they're going to know that you have experienced joy, that you found your pathway, that you have purpose. But not everybody gets to that place as you have ever Um, or maybe takes them a lot longer, or maybe they're struggling to get there. So tell us about your group, and then let's start talking about some of the questions that come up in that setting. Well, I want to say, first of all, I'm seven and a half years into my journey, and even though you, you may hear some joy in my voice, I will tell you, in the beginning, I did not have a lot of joy because I was struggling, even though, you know, because you have just lost your best friend your life partner, your biggest cheerleader, you know, and, you, and you've and you lost that person. And it's such a tremendous feeling of grief. But one of the things that I found, uh, and I've been involved in a church ministry for a long time. I was a choir director for years and years. And one of the things that I found, and I, I do want to say I love my church family, and I know that my church family loves me, but my church family didn't quite know how to handle the loss of my husband. He was on our church board. He was very active in the church. And they didn't know what to say. And they didn't know what to do. And so a part of my circle, my church family, I felt, gosh, I wish that, you know, somebody would tell them what they need to do. And so I had a conversation with my pastor. And I said, I'm really concerned that we don't have something for widows and widowers because, you know, the Bible instructs us that we're supposed to take care of the widows. And I said, I don't feel that we're doing that right now. And so our pastor is a a fine person for saying, well, you know, I agree with what you're saying, and we really don't have anybody right now to do that. But if the Lord has laid it on your heart, maybe you should do some research on that. And so that's, that's what I started doing. So I talked with another lady who had lost her husband a couple of years after I lost mine. And she, you know, had the same feeling of, gosh, we need to do something. And so I said, come on board and let's let's see what where the Lord is going to lead with this. So we decided that uh, we would work to start not a support group, but a prayer and encouragement group. And we call it HOPE. And it's helping others through prayer and encouragement. And it's for anybody who's lost a spouse. So we've started uh, having group meetings. Now, we're still kind of young in our development. But we have 10 people who have been very regular. We meet on a monthly basis. Uh, we meet at my home because I felt like the home environment was less less threatening. And uh, I did some research, and I found a, a course that I really liked, and it's called uh, Beyond the Broken Heart. Now, uh, Julie Yarborough has written two books. The first one is called Inside the Broken Heart, and it's talking about dealing with that that sting and that, that grief initially and how you try to get through that. And then she goes Beyond the Broken Heart, which talks about taking things a little bit further out. 
And so that's the basis that we use when we get together. We have prayer. We have Bible study, a little bit of Bible study. We watch the DVD. But the really important thing here is the sharing part. And we have people who my most recent person has lost their spouse only six weeks ago. And I have lost my spouse seven and a half years ago. And we have everybody in between. We have one person who has actually lost two spouses. And it's the sharing. And what really, really surprised me in this group is that the men share. And I'm thinking, you know, this is just going to be women and the women are going to share. And if any men come, they're not going to say anything. But it's been quite the opposite. You know, they they feel like they can share. And we, we tell everybody, you know, this is a, a safe environment in here. You can say anything. But let me just say here, I am not a psychologist. I am not a mental health professional. I am, like I say, I've worked in the field of aging and I deal with people that suffer a loss a lot in their life. But more important, I'm, I'm a born-again Christian and I just want to do what the Lord wants me to do. And he's just laid it on my heart that this is an unmet need, not only in our church, but as I've talked to other people from other churches, I'm hearing kind of the same thing. Well, we don't really have anything here for our widows and widowers either. And so I, I really think that there's a ministry, an untapped ministry here that churches could, could really get involved in. It's interesting that you would say they just didn't know what to do. And we've found that too. And we realize it wasn't that they didn't want to do they just, they didn't want to make it worse, which of course we know nobody could make it worse, right. but they didn't know that and they don't know what to say. And so that's one of the reasons why I wrote Treasures of Encouragement, because somebody said, you need to write a book about what you're learning about these things. Help us know what to do. And um, so I, I, I think also what I thought you were going to say about yourself when you said, I'm not, I'm not a, an expert or, you know, I'm not all these things is that you were going to simply say, I just know how to be a friend. And I think that is what most of us need to realize is it's not complicated. It, it's hard to do, but it's not complicated. It's I'm here for you. I had this right. dear, dear friend at church and uh, she would, you know, the people would say, oh, how are you doing? And, you know, and you would go through the normal, oh, I'm doing okay, I'm doing better. And she would stop me. She stopped me one Sunday as I was leaving church. And she says, now, look, I know you. And I'm going to ask you how you are. And I want you to really tell me. And so I said, okay, you want to know how I really feel? I've lost my best friend in the whole world. My world is turned upside down. I don't know what I'm going to do. That's how I really feel. That's what this group allows us to do. We can sit down. We can talk about whatever is discouraging us. And somebody else sitting in that room is going to say, you know what? I feel the same way, and I've been the same down the same way. And this is kind of what I did, and this is what helped me. And one of the things that one of the girls did, she actually, and we encourage people to do this, is to write, she wrote a letter uh, to her husband, but she brought it in, and she it was a part of the healing process for her, but she shared it with us. And one of the most precious, I, I, I don't mean to, but I just want to share a little bit about some of the, the things that happened in, in the group. We had had this lady and her husband was in hospice, and we were talking about, you know, uh, do we believe that the Lord uh, gives us any signs or anything like that to help us get through this journey? And she shared that there was a lady at hospice, and that lady, she said, now, I don't know if she was, she said, I went back and asked the staff, was she real or was she an angel? Because she was singing, and she would come into the rooms, and she would sing. And 
their favorite song was Let Me Call You Sweetheart, which is going to, you know, you're going to know that it's an elderly couple. They'd been married a long time. And this lady with the guitar started playing Let Me Call You Sweetheart. And she stopped playing the guitar and she said to the lady, you should be singing this to your husband and your husband should be singing it to you. And so the lady says, oh, I can't sing. So she started singing this song to her husband, who's in his final days at a hospice facility. And he started singing back to his wife. So they shared that wonderful, beautiful, beautiful moment. And so when we were finished that evening, I just thought, oh, my goodness, the Lord just laid it on my heart. We have a gentleman in our group that is a phenomenal singer. And I asked him, could you just sing that song for us? Let's do this tonight for her. She shared this beautiful story, and let's show our love for her by singing this with her. And it was a beautiful moment that allowed us to share something that was very important to this person in her grief journey. But she invited us in, and we became part of her family at that point. And she didn't have to be awkward or uncomfortable about sharing it. She'd probably be very reluctant to share that with almost anybody because she'd wonder, they think I'm crazy. I know there are those, uh, we call them echoes of mercy that we know, we, we see those treasures in the darkness. You know, we know that the Lord has sent us a special love note. Nobody else understands it, but we do because he knows us so well. And that's a beautiful story. Another beautiful story. Well, um, Carolyn, how long does grief last? Uh, When we first lost our son, Mark, and I was just, you know, out of my mind, um, that would be the first question. I would ask other parents who had lost a child, they would come to see us, and I would want them to tell me, when is it, when am I going to be able to breathe, you know, without my chest hurting? And they wouldn't give me an answer. We don't know because it's an individual journey. The grief that is debilitating, we do get beyond that point because we get to the acceptance part of the grief and we know that we have to deal with it and go on. But there are still things in our life that will trigger that grief. And, you know, like I I keep saying, it's a journey. It is a journey. And I can't tell you where your journey is going to be and you can't tell me where mine's going to be because it's an individual process. And nobody knows. And like I said, you know, my grief journey may not be over until, you know, I see my husband again and be reunited with him again. But each person has a different journey that they take, and it's a process. But part of making that process easier is to find your share group and that you can share with and they can share with you. And so it's not the feeling of alone. I don't have to experience this alone. There's somebody else that has walked exactly in my shoes. And my process may be different, but they're here. They've survived this process. So I know that there's hope somewhere for me. I remember a friend telling me uh, when I was saying to her, nobody will tell me how long is it going to be like this? And she said, that's because they know. And I realized later they were respecting my relationship to my son. And they were recognizing that even though they might know me better than anybody else at that time, because we know grief. You know, there I, I say to women who I meet for the first time, I know you better than anybody else in your life knows you, but I don't know you at all. And that's there are parts of because your relationship to your child is unique. Mm-hmm. And so there are parts of this pathway that will be foreign to me. Um, and I respect that. And so I think that's what you're saying, too, is that it's a unique relationship and the personalities are unique. And and what is your foundation and, um, you know, what are your uh, what do you lean on and what you just said about having a a group, a a friendship group? And earlier you said that 
your group is not a support group. And I like that, but why don't you explain why you don't call it a support group? I wanted to focus more on the aspect of our spiritual life and that we are there to pray for each other and to encourage each other. Uh, I don't know. I, I just didn't want to use the term support group. I wanted it to be viewed as something else because grief, they might feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go somewhere and, you know, bear my soul. And, and that's not what they have to do. They can come and not even say a word, you know, and, and that's what we tell them. We, we don't want you to feel that you have to say anything. Let me just share about our most recent person who came in, and and I shared with you before we started talking today that uh, she lost her husband very, very suddenly. He just uh, dropped dead one day at a grocery store, and she was, you know, she was still in disbelief almost. And I talked to her that she came to our church, and uh, I got her number and and called her and and, uh, wanted to meet with her at church. And she has... She, I invited her to come to the first meeting. In the first meeting, her husband had only been gone for four weeks, and that's a very, very fresh, just dealing with the grief. And so I told her, I said, you know, I don't want you to feel like you have to say a word. I just want you to come in here and feel the love, and you're going to feel, and you're going to know that we've all been where you are right now. And we not that we're totally healed, but we have survived it to this point, And I want you to see that. You don't have to say a word. But before the evening was over and she started to hear everybody else talk, she started to share with us the, the feeling that she had, the so alone feeling. But she found out that we all felt that same way. And even though her grief was still so fresh, and she's just a precious, beautiful lady. And she's, she's, uh, I, I saw her the other day at church and said, now, are you going to make it to the next meeting? And she said, oh, I'm going to be there. So this is somebody who is just fresh in their grief. But it's just, it's, the, uh, it's, it's a family. It becomes a family. We're united in, in the grief aspect because there is hope. And hope is saying you're not going to stay where you are. That's right. And I think sometimes with a support group, we think, well, it's just to cry about where we are. But what you're saying is we're not going to stay where we are. And you're going to see that in the others who are here. What about holidays and special events? Holidays are so tough. And I will tell you that my husband loved Christmas, loved Christmas. And I was a fool for Christmas because I would put up a Christmas tree in every room in my house. And... He died in April, and I normally would start putting the trees up in November. And I decided I wasn't going to do that. And so my grandkids came to me and said, you know, what's going on? And I said, well, I just don't really feel But you have to put the trees up. You know, that's what Pop-Up would want. He would want the trees up. So I did it, and that became part of a healing process for me. But I took it a little bit further because I thought, I want to take this, and I want to do something for somebody else. And that's where I kind of want to get the message to about the holidays. You need to start focusing maybe not on your needs, but on somebody else's needs. And so what I did is I got the house all decorated and we have uh, an early memory loss group at work. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to invite them out to the house. They can come and see the trees and I'll have refreshments for them. And I'll have Mr. and Mrs. Claus here. And what happened? Now, this is these are beginning Alzheimer's patients. 
And so what we did is we brought them out, and Mr. and Mrs. Claus were there. They looked at all the trees. And then we sat down in a great big circle, and we asked them to share some of their Christmas memories. These are Alzheimer's patients. It was beautiful. And I thought, this is why, this is why I did this. This is why my grandkids came and wanted me to do this so I could open my home up to somebody else, let them come in and share some of their memories and stories with me. So every year, and holidays are tough, and, you know, I, holidays are tough, anniversaries are tough. You know, the, the anniversary of the death is extremely tough, you know. But let's look at somebody else. Let's look at, you know, if Christmas is really tough, call somebody that delivers meals on Christmas. Call the Salvation Army. Call and do something for somebody else, and it will make you feel so much better. And I'm thinking of people who can barely get out of bed. You know, they're, they're listening to this and saying, I can barely get out of bed, and you want me to do something for somebody else. What would you say to that person? I would say, say a prayer. Make yourself get up out of that bed right now. Have a talk with yourself and say, I, you know, my life is not over. I have to keep living. There are people around me who want me to keep living. You know, it's like my grandkids coming to me and saying, what's up with this? You need to do this. So, you know, there are people around you that still need you. And so you need to, it's, granted, I I know that it's going to be hard. And, you know, there are still some days where, but I can, I'm to the point now in my life where I can feel it. If I'm starting to get to that point where, I know, gosh, I think I might be getting a little depressed. I'm sitting around a little bit too much. I make an effort to pull myself up, and that's not always easy, but you have to do that, and you just have to make yourself get up. Get up out of that bed. Say a prayer first because you're going to need God's help, but say a prayer first and get up out of that bed and just take a nice shower, sit down and read your Bible for a while, start praying for other people. Sometimes we need very practical instructions, and those were very practical instructions. But we also know, um, both of us sitting here know that somebody listening right now is probably getting really ticked and pretty angry with you. Um, what about anger in the grieving process? Uh, in the grief, I don't want to say a process, that journey of grief. Journey. What about anger? Anger, and I have been there. Uh, anger is a part of the process that pretty much I think everybody will go through. Uh, I want to go back just a, a brief moment and talk about the death of my son because that one was one that I was not prepared for. I was prepared, uh, you know, for the death of my husband. We knew that was coming. I didn't have any warning about my son. I became a very, very angry person. And I became, my personality became something other than what I am. And one of my children actually came to me and said, Mom, this is not you. But, you know, I was angry and I was angry at everybody. I was angry at the world. I was angry at God. I didn't understand. And I struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled and prayed and begged and, you know, help me to get through this. And I won't share the complete story, but God did answer my prayer. It took a long time because, you know, God answers prayer in his time, not our time. And, you know, I think that God got me to a certain point. Then he said, okay, I'm going to answer her prayer now. And that helped me with my anger. But everybody's going to, I feel that everybody is, it's one of the steps of grieving. Anger is one of the steps. And so, you know, 
it's like it's a journey and you're going to get beyond that anger at some point but it might be a long time and i think that it's so good for you to tell this story because it sounds like you were doing a lot of the quote unquote right things you're praying you're asking you're pleading but you're not changing nothing's happening in your heart and I know that for me, I remember one day I got up out of bed, made myself get out of bed, and I would think, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Well, get up and go fix the breakfast. Go do a load of clothes. I don't have much that you have to do, but you need to do those things. And I could not stop crying. I'd had days of crying. And I finally, uh, as I'm pleading with the Lord, you have to help me. I I don't want to be like this, but I can't stop crying. And I finally felt as though the Lord was saying, that's my agenda for you today. That's my plan for you. You just keep doing what you know needs to be done and cry through the whole thing, and it's okay. We have a gentleman uh, who lost his wife uh, to pancreatic cancer in our church, and I've tried to talk to him many times. We've talked on the phone. I've recommended books for him to read. And, 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 you know, he said, you know, I I just feel like I want, and I said, it's okay. You can cry. A man can cry. It's okay. And there's something about, like, again, a man maybe not expressing his his total feelings. And uh, after this person lost their spouse, uh, he went away on a, a trip. And I couldn't understand how he could do that because I needed people around me, but he needed time alone. But again, people handle their grief in different ways. And I sent him a text and I said, if you go buy a bookstore, just stop in and pick up the book Inside the Broken Heart. You're going to have a little bit of time. Read a page or two. About a week later, I got a text back from him and he said, that was a great book. Thank you for recommending it. So, you know, there are tools to use that can help you. But again, the the greatest source of comfort, I believe, is your Heavenly Father. And, you know, you know, and as somebody that's just lost a spouse and we say he doesn't put more on you than you can handle, they're saying she doesn't know what she's talking about, but he does provide the strength. And I think that's a good point. He does put more on us than we can handle because he's the one that's going to do the handling. That's and that's the thing I think we try to do so much on our own. But I also was comforted by the passage um, where we're promised that God puts all of our tears in a bottle. And I would imagine him collecting all of my tears. And what does that say to me? He's very aware of every tear. He knows there's one who knows more than anyone else what our broken hearts are going through. So as we as we think about anger, and, and I got to tell you, I had some moments where I was, I couldn't believe I could behave the way that I was behaving. What I think brought me some of the greatest comfort, though, was that the Lord can take it. He can take us pounding on his chest. Mm-hmm. He invites our questions. He's not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of, of uh, us getting mad. He knows, he knows all about it. And I think for me, I see that struggle as an act of faith. I see it as people of faith who, because they're running to him. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not running away. We're running to him. And we're saying, you've got to help me here. What is going on? I don't get this. This is breaking my heart. But I see him welcoming us and pulling us up into his lap and saying, it's okay, I've got this. And so for that moment, we get that moment of relief. And that's what I used to say is just just, uh, break the ache for a moment. Mm -hmm. And wow, how he was able to do that. Let me just say that on the anger part, the anger, I had more anger at the world and everybody when I lost my son, you know, violently and quickly. 
because I think I had time to process the death of my husband. So I didn't necessarily go through the anger part, not saying that there weren't days that I didn't sit down and, and, you know, go in my living room and say, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. I can't do this by myself. I, I don't know why did you have to, you know, not that I was angry at my husband, but, you know, why did you have to die? Why? I don't know that I can continue to mow all this grass and do all this stuff, you know. And in his list of things that he left for me, because he loved where we lived, and he said to me, I want you to stay in that house as long as you possibly can. And so, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, he, you know, he expects me to do this. And, you know, I'm still trying to please him, although he's in heaven, you know, I'm still trying to please him. But I didn't have that profound anger uh, that I had with the loss of the son. What about anger toward the spouse that's gone? Do you have now you obviously the two of you were able to work through a lot of things before he left. But for those who don't have that opportunity, how do you handle that? I mean, what if you have unresolved problems or conflicts and no time to I, fix I think that? maybe that's not necessarily unresolved anger at your spouse, but it's more your regrets or how you handled that relationship. And so that goes back to what we were talking about about you never know which day is going to be your last. So therefore, you should do everything you can to make it your best. But what if you are just hearing what you just said, and it's too late? You're you're a widow or you're a widower. Mm -hmm. And maybe you've learned things about uh, your spouse's behavior that is just breaking your heart. And there's you don't know if it's true, or maybe you do know it's true. And how do you, uh, this is a big question, probably probably needs its own little session, but just, you know, quickly, um, what would you say? I think what I would do is I would drop to my knees and I would say, Lord, I have a burden here and I need your help. I, I need help in how to handle this, uh, you know, and just pour out your heart to the Lord. And I think, you know, he is the healer. And I think that in time, he would help us, it would help that heal. So that's, you know, that's what I would do uh, if somebody came to me and, and said something that was devastating about, you know, my spouse. I can't imagine anybody doing that. But, you know, if they did, that's what I would do. I, I would turn to my real source of strength, which is my Lord and Savior. A woman asked me that question, and that's why I'm thinking that, I mean, her husband confessed things to her right before he died. And she would probably say to you, I had the same kind of marriage you had. I I believed that our relationship was as about as perfect as it could be. And, and her struggle was, why did he feel like he had to tell me these things? You know, how do I handle this? And frankly, it's exactly what you just said. There is the, the Lord is the only one, I think, who can help you work through forgiveness and redeem that and focus on all those wonderful things that you did share right. and realize in the scheme of things, okay, it's a shocking revelation to you, but he's still the man that you were married to all those years and believed so many good things about. So, but that it's, it can be complicated, but it could be also very simple in doing exactly what you just said. And I think sometimes that's, I think that's one of the hardest things for me when someone is so broken by grief and sorrow and I know I can't fix them. 
I mean, I wanted somebody to fix me. But you me. know, <laughs> and, it, and, and you can't fix it. So what you do, you know, I'm a hugger. And what you do is you just, in love, you put your arms around that person and you let them know that you are there for them no matter what, you know. You can call me anytime. You can call. You can holler at me. You can do what. You can cry with me. You can do any. It's be a friend. Just be a friend. I had a friend who uh, she called me at a time where I was really ticked at somebody, and I just and she I wasn't going to talk to her about it, but she brought up something else, and it just all came out. I was so angry. It wasn't a particular person. It was a group of. It was one of those things where they didn't behave the way I thought they should behave. Right. And, uh, of course, at the end, I was regretful that I had talked to her the way that I did. And she started laughing, and she said, you can beat on my chest anytime. It's okay. Everybody needs a friend like that. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely, Everybody needs a friend like that. But you kind of have touched on something I wanted to ask you about, and that was the grief that is so intense. How long, you know, we've talked about how long are we going to feel that way? And how do we respond to the person who is so shattered? And I think you've answered that question, too. Right. We, we realize we can't can't fix them, we but can. we can walk with them. That's correct. And we can let them know they're they're not alone. Right. Too. They have somebody to walk on this journey with them. And the loneliness. I, I think that's the biggest thing that I hear from widows and widowers. Um, I remember when my father, and this is emotional for me, but when my mother died and my father would come over for dinner, one of the hardest things was watching him walk to his car by himself knowing he's going home to an empty house. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't fix that. There was nothing I could do except to love him and and, uh, be there, but knowing that he had to find his own way. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that, Carolyn? Well, this is a very tough issue for widows and widowers. And this is probably... Uh, the area that we spend a great amount of time talking about because we we all deal with loneliness. And even though we all have families, and I'm very fortunate that my son and my grandkids live right next door to me, and, you know, I love them intensely, and they do everything they can for me, but I'm missing that special relationship that I had, which no matter how much you love your family, it's not going to be the same. We just, I I just went on a cruise with with, uh, my kids and uh, my husband loved to cruise. And on the last night of the cruise, I told him, I said, I love you guys, but you're not, you're not my husband, you know, and I miss him. And so that is, that is a big issue. So one of the things, the kind of the outgrowth of our prayer and encouragement group is we also now are developing a time where we can go out to dinner together. And we're going to do that as a group because ladies especially, now men in the group, they don't seem to have a problem with this. There's only one uh, man in our group that says, I would never go out to dinner by myself. The rest of them don't have a problem. But most ladies do have a problem with that. And they don't want to go out uh, to dinner alone. So I said, okay, let's do this as a group. We'll all go out and we'll have dinner together. So kind of an outgrowth of this prayer encouragement group is an activity group where we can do things and and still even though it doesn't quite fit the bill of feeling filling those lonely hours it does something to give us somebody to go out to dinner with it yeah I think that's wonderful I love it I love it that of course brings me to my next question and that is um, everything is couples and in the church it's couples and uh, what happens when you are you are you still included in your circles of friends that are couples? And what counsel would you give to friends whose 
a friend has lost their spouse? How do they embrace that person? That was probably one of the hardest things that I had to deal with because we had such a great relationship with a lot of other couples in the church. Now, according to some of the things I've read, I don't know if this is true, but men uh, don't seem to have that feeling, or they seem to be a little bit more accepted uh, by the people in the church rather than women who have lost their spouse. And I will tell you that my social calendar with the couples in the church stopped immediately, immediately. And I, I felt hurt. I was hurt because they were my friends. I had lost a spouse, and I needed my friends right then. I really did. And um, But then I look at it from the perspective of they didn't know how to handle the situation. So, you know, I can't be angry at them. I think it's something that I have to process because you do become this fifth wheel, single person, don't fit, you know, and, and this is not a unique feeling for me. Every person that comes to my house, we all sit around and talk about it. They all feel the same way. So that's why it's so, so important to source out people who have experienced this loss and become a new social group, you know, because it's very difficult. It's, 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 that's a very tough thing. I have a friend who recently lost her husband, and uh, she recently shared publicly that one of her favorite things, their favorite things, was going to church together. Mm-hmm. And it's very true. Good. And they're very loved people, but brought life into a room. You know, they entered the room, and there was laughter and life, and now he's gone. And she said, uh, for some reason, this particular Sunday, she was especially struck by how much she missed him. And she felt, how am I going to fit in again? Mm -hmm. And that Sunday, the Lord just provided, because somehow the friends that they always hung out with knew that they needed to push through whatever issues they might have had, and they embraced her, and they they all went out to lunch together. And mm-hmm. her point was very well taken, that um, there was a two-way street, that she needed that moment. That moment, she needed her friends to step up and, and say, we're not going to leave you behind. Uh, but I've heard this from so many widows and widowers that they they feel, like you just said, they're the fifth wheel. And, and, you know, I think sometimes they're so broken, they don't have the energy to step up. I love your group. I love that idea. I, I think that's a great idea. I, I thought about my father sometimes. I, he loved going out, taking my mother out. And now he has seven kids and hun- over 100 grandkids and all of that. But I remember him telling me, I cry every day for your mother. And my father was not a crier. He was a stoic. Mm-hmm. But losing my mother changed him. I'd like to talk just a little bit about uh, the church aspect for a couple because I found that church was very difficult for me because it's such a deep spiritual experience that you have together as a couple. You know, we're we're all involved in this busy life, but we take this time out and we share this experience. And so it becomes very, very important to a marriage. And I had great difficulty that like the first Sunday that I, I that I went back and my, my husband's service was there at the church and everything as, as he would would have wanted. But but I had to struggle to get through that. And actually, I had to leave the service because I they were doing the Lord's Supper. And the last time we had the Lord's Supper, my husband served me and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, and my, I'm going through all these things in my brain. And I got up and I went into the ladies room and just sat down and cried. 
And I looked up, and there was a wonderful saintly woman who was in there, and she did not say one word to me. She just put her arms around me and, you know, just held me. And so the gentleman that I was talking about that had lost his wife to pancreatic cancer, so he came back to church. He After uh, she passed, I guess he waited maybe about three weeks, and he came back because he went on his trip and everything, and he came back. And I we talked later, and he said, that was the most horrible feeling in the world for me. He said, I couldn't breathe. I just wanted to get out of that church. I couldn't breathe anymore. And she's been gone now about seven months. He has not been back to church. And we have talked. And he said, well, I want you to know, I haven't turned my back on God. I haven't turned my back on God. But I just can't go in there yet. And I think it's because you share. That is such a tremendous sharing that you have with each other. And I understand that. And, you know, I worked through mine, you know, and made myself go. He doesn't have the strength right now in his journey to make himself do that. And so what should friends do when they see this happening, when they feel their uh, grieving friend pulling away from what would have been a normal part of their lives? I think you just need to let that grieving friend know that no matter where they are, in their, you still love them. You're still their friend. You know, you know, it's very difficult because, like, if you said to me right after my husband died, what can I do for you? I, I, would, I wouldn't even know what to say because my world is upside down. I just need to know that you love me and that you care for me and that you're there for me. And I think that is the most important. Like when I called the lady that lost the 19-year-old son, and she said, I knew that you would call. Well, that's nothing. It's a phone call. But a phone call can mean a lot to somebody that just needs to hear a voice of somebody who loves them. I remember somebody called and said, a good friend had called and said, we want to have you over for dinner. Um, We just need you to give us some dates. And that was shortly after the death of our son. And I, about a year later, I remembered that phone call. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I thought, and, and she kind of distanced herself. I looked back and realized Oh, that might be why. She might have thought I didn't want to come over for but dinner But see, you or were at a point in your grief where you weren't ready to make any dates or anything I, like exactly. that. Exactly. It's one of those, and I tell people, don't say, what can I do for you? Because right. we have no clue what you can do. Right. You just have to look around and do what the scriptures teach. Consider carefully how you can encourage one another. And so each person is different, and uh, you just have to consider carefully. Encourage. You use that word encourage. See, that's, that's, that's why we have hope. We're going to pray for them. And we're going to encourage them. You're finding good times with this group of other widows and widowers. But what about dating? And what about a social life? What, how do you feel about that? And how would you counsel someone who is starting to feel as though I, I think I'm ready? Well, you know, it's one of the men in our group said, and I was kind of blown away by this, but he said, uh, I miss going out with a lady, you know, and I I was like, you know, I had to do a double take, you know, because I I was very surprised that he would be that straightforward and honest with us. And my children, you know, have come to me and, and, and usually the children are the last ones that want to see you move on. Typically, that's what I hear. But my children have come to me and said, Mom, it's been seven and a half years. It's okay if you want to go on a date. We, we, it's okay with us. But I had a problem. I do. I have a problem with this because, and I've talked to my pastor, and I said, you know, I feel, and, and I've gone on a few dates, uh, but I feel guilty. And my pastor says, but, you know, your husband would want you to be happy. 
Nobody else can tell you about, you know, what you need to do and how you need to move on. But because there is this loneliness, but it's hard to move on, or it's hard for me. There are some people, you know, I I counseled, talked with a gentleman who lost his wife, and I talked to him a month later, and he was dating. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Well, that was somebody who was running from their grief. They were not dealing with it. You know, they were trying to pretend it didn't happen, avoid it. That's not healthy. In the long run, that's, you know, that's going to, it's going to catch up with him in the long run. But I'm still trying to process that part of my life. Uh, And, you know, I figured, you know, again, I'm going to put that in the Lord's hands because I was blessed with a tremendous partner. And I keep telling people, you know, I don't think there's another one out there like him. And I know there's not one like them. But if the Lord has something in mind for me, he'll, he'll show me and he'll show me in his time. But right now, I think the Lord has purposed in my life that I need to help others. And so that's where I'm kind of focused right now. And that's where I, that's where I intend to do. I can imagine that's a pretty tough place to be. I often think about, I keep going back to my father, but I, I remember thinking, I wish there was somebody that he could just go out with, yeah. just be friends, you know, not, no, no agenda, because he was like you. There wasn't going to be anybody else for him. But just to have the opportunity to go out, have a nice evening, talk about things, if you're able to get it to that point with the other person, mm-hmm. with no agenda, just friendship. I, I just to anybody that may be listening to this, I just want them to know that there is hope uh, and the Lord can get you through. And uh, if you need a friend, you know, uh, I don't know how they could get in touch, but, you know, I will just, you know, I could pray for them. And uh, I would encourage them to get involved in a group. And if their church does not have a group, I would encourage them to go to their pastor and say, Goodness, we need to have we need to have a group like this at our church. Well, as you're listening to uh, Carolyn's story and her offer to be available uh, to pray, you can visit our website, and we will have uh, information there on how you can contact Carolyn through us. We will also have uh, information about the books that Carolyn has mentioned called Beyond the Broken Heart and Inside the Broken Heart by Julie Yarbrough. Obviously, books that could really be a big uh, source of help and hope in your own pathway, and, and likely not just if you're a widow or a widower, but any, any kind of a broken heart. Carolyn has mentioned numerous times that the Lord is her guide and the Lord is the one who gives her hope. And we can't stop our interview without making sure that you understand what she means, because lots of times we talk about a universal God and uh, a God who really is not the personal God that Carolyn and I have both experienced through his son, Jesus Christ. And we want you to understand that there is help and hope through knowing Jesus, knowing that Jesus came to die for sins, to take on all of our sins, to take on all of our grief, to take on all of our sorrows, um, and to rise again from the dead to overcome sin, and to give us the hope that we will see those who love Him again. Often in my own grief journey, I've thought when Jesus was on the cross, He was thinking about me. He knew that I was going to have a broken heart. 
and he knew that I needed to experience forgiveness of sins. And he knew that when I recognized that need in my own life, that full forgiveness was available to me. And it is available to you too, listener. And we pray that you will experience that same love that we have experienced through Jesus, because that is where we receive our help and our hope. Father, we just thank you for the love that you have for us. And we do pray for those who are hearing this story of help and hope. And we are so uh, hopeful that they will understand that that help and hope for us comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. And we pray for those brokenhearted people who are listening that even just for a moment, the ache in their chest will be broken just enough for them to be able to hear the message of your redemption. In your name we pray. Amen. This moving and informative interview was produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. To contact Mark Inc. Ministries for more information on other resources, call us toll free at 877 Mark Inc. That's 877 627 5462. Visit us online at markinc.org to see what other free resources are available for Mark Inc. Ministries. Our message today comes from the Learning to See When the Lights Go Out series and is designed to offer help and hope to those who have been struck by the pain from a variety of sources. If you or someone you know or love is struggling, you are likely to find a Mark Inc. Ministries resource on that topic to offer a bit of hope to that pain. That website again is markinc.org. You can also contact Chuck and Sharon Betters in care of Mark Inc. Ministries at 2880 Summit Bridge Road, Bear, Delaware, 19701. Mark Inc. Ministries, making abundant riches known in the name of Christ.